Hey everybody, this is Heidi. Welcome to episode 40 of Vibrant Visionaries. We're deep into our Parks and Recreation rewatch. We're going to be talking about season two, episode one, called Pawnee Zoo, with my friend Jarf today. And the next Parks and Recreation rewatch will come out in, uh, I don't know, a few weeks from now. And that's going to be with my friend Bridget from the podcast Radaptations. And I wanted to give you a heads up that Bridget and I will be discussing season two, episode four, called Practice Date. So go ahead and, you know, enjoy uh, the other couple episodes in between the stakeout and beauty pageant. I just didn't want to make special episodes just about those. So we're going to head on into episode four of season two of Parks and Rec after this. And check out the show notes for this episode because Jarf shares a whole bunch of his favorite creatives of color, uh, links to their different projects and creative endeavors. So I wanted to shout that out. And then of course, I'll have links there for um, where to follow along with Jarf's adventures and follow along with the podcast adventures and what I'm up to. And if you're a new listener to the podcast, my name's Heidi Bennett. This is the Vibrant Visionaries podcast. Most episodes are conversations with clever, compassionate, creative professionals and you can find those all at VibrantVisionaries.com. This is one of our extra special episodes where we're discussing Parks and Recreation, one of my favorite shows. So enjoy the show. Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries and welcome to Season 2 Rewatch of Parks and Recreation. And my special exciting guest because we're, in a way, we're like longtime friends and yet we almost barely know each other. (laughs) And that is wonderful. (laughs) Uh, So I would like to introduce my fellow uh, Movies by Minutes podcast pal, Jarf Harden. Welcome, Jarf. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. And I concur with that sentiment 100%. And I'll admit that I am a little bit intimidated to come on this show, this relatively new project of yours, because I've listened to the podcast and you've just had amazing guests on here. And they're incredible creative people and you have these great conversations and so i I am feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome just coming onto vibrant visionary but i always enjoy recording with you and i think it's going to be a ton of fun and i think parks and rec is just a great a great choice for something to talk about in general and right now. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I will let you know that um, in a future episode, I am going to be releasing soon. I'm talking with an Emmy award-winning choreographer and director who's worked with tons of creative people that she's collaborated with on amazing projects. And she also talks about having imposter syndrome too. Oh my goodness. You know, And she mentions, you know, like, yes, I know I'm a talented person. I know I know what I'm doing, but it still rears its head. So I think that's one of those things that everybody lives with to a certain degree. So you're in, you're in good company. <laughs> that's great. Before we get into this episode, maybe you can just give the listeners, the Vibrant Visionary listeners, uh, a little 
primer on what it is that you do in podcasting and, and any other creative endeavors you want to share. Sure thing. So to put it into context, I'm going to talk first about what I do for a living with podcasting be, being something that I do really as a hobby. But there's a lot of overlap in some of the skills that I use. And I didn't think that was going to be the case, but it's turned out to be that way more and more. So I work for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and I'm in charge of outreach and advocacy for the Philadelphia area chapter. So I work with a lot of parents with children with cystic fibrosis, which is a rare genetic disease that affects the lungs and digestive system. And I help them share their story. I do community education, and I help them advocate for quality, affordable healthcare. So the way that that overlaps with podcasting is uh, I do a lot of public speaking. Now that we are in quarantine, I do a lot of virtual events and presentations. And this was kind of thrust on me because of the quarantine situation. And I don't think that I would have had the confidence to lead a town hall with doctors from our local care centers, talking with this large group of parents that are concerned about their children, if I hadn't done podcasting and wasn't comfortable talking with people over the internet, using a microphone, all of that. So it, it was just really lucky that those things dovetailed. What I do in the podcasting sphere is I just completed a Movies by Minute podcast about Joe versus a Volcano with our mutual friend, Tierney. And mm -hmm. that project was called Joe versus the Minute. And it's my first Movies by Minute podcast. It was a ton of fun. We went all the way through the movie. Lots of fun guests, including you. You were actually our first guest. And we discovered a lot of fun things. Along the way, the movie was a childhood favorite of Tierney's and one that I really loved when I discovered it in college. And so we just came out the other side with an even deeper appreciation for the film and having made a lot of fun connections with people that we interviewed. And I did want to just acknowledge that that first recording session that we had with you, I think really helped us find our footing as a show because Joe versus a Volcano it's a silly movie, it's a fairy tale, and it also has some heavy thematic elements where the lead character is dealing with anxiety, PTSD, depression. And I wanted to have a show that could live in both of those worlds. And we, we just had that first night of recording and we, we got to that serious place and then we came through it and then we were all sharing a laugh at the end. And then I thought, like, okay, we can do the show. I think that we can address some of the things that I want to talk about, but then also have fun with the silliness. So I appreciate that, Heidi. Well, thanks for, I feel like you've set a tone yourself in the way that you interact with um, folks through social media and your uh, dedication to inclusive fandom and the way that you love to elevate voices and have real conversations. And you just have a, a very warm, welcoming 
internet presence, which is just, it's a treasure to me. So (laughs) I really appreciate you setting the tone and the vibe to have us uh, be able to sit and have real conversations and, you know, still entertain people at the same time. Well, thanks. That's nice to hear. Well, let's get into this parks and recreation. So I'm I'm stoked because we're into season two now, and you can already on this episode one start to feel this shift in parks and recreation's overall tone. Leslie is somebody now who, even though she's still kind of getting drunk and loopy like she was in season one, you can just see that she has more of a camaraderie with the folks in her office. And we kick off with her, you know, singing, (laughs) parents just don't understand. And, and there's just, there's something really playful that she's, she's also um, highlighting that she's made choices around things that she thought would be very cute. And I really appreciate (laughs) that as a driving force for her decision making. So yeah, what's, um, well, I'll talk a little bit later about your relationship to parks and recreation. But what did you think about this episode? So I thought this episode was a lot of fun. I thought that it, it was good character development for Leslie and just the way that she is pulled between these two sides uh, around this issue that she didn't want to be taking a stand on. And you mentioned her rap at the beginning. And I thought that that was a bold choice to have her go all the way through the song. First of all, I'm recording now from Flower Town, which is a suburb right outside of Philly. So just want to give a shout out to Philly's own Will Smith. And it it was really a trip to watch her coworkers, some of them just look mortified, like they can't believe that this is happening. And and then others are gathering around like, she's rich. She's that crazy woman is going to do the whole gosh darn thing. Can we swear on your podcast? I forget. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, and I like how like um, Aziz, Tom Haverford, he's like bouncing his head around and you know, Ron Swanson's just got his sort of stoic yet slightly amused look on his face. <laughs> and it is, like you said, a bold choice for her to sing, like the whole, essentially rap the whole song. <laughs> I can't believe it. I made a mistake. The parents are the same, no matter time nor place. So to all you kids all across the land, no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Thank you, thank you. Just a little something I know. So what's up? Uh, Someone is on fire in Ramsett Park. They need you to get down there right away. Oh my God. not like she's a great rapper so it's it's a very silly it's a very silly beginning but then they set up this great joke where you know ron just waits it out and then 
says someone's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I noticed too, and we're, this is basically the cold open and then we go into the credit, is that this episode is directed by the creator of Freaks and Geeks, Paul Feig. Oh, cool. I didn't notice that. He also did The Heat. Yeah. Uh, the new Ghostbusters, Bridesmaids, uh, Spy, which I absolutely love. I think that's that's just one of those really great, super funny movies. Yeah. So that was a fun, fun little standout I noticed when I was going into the credits here. Speaking of the credits, that is one of the things that I, the opening theme song is one of the things that I love most about the show overall. I appreciate Parks and Rec because I find it comforting and Mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed that and I enjoy it, especially now that life has just become even more stressful. And I think that sometimes you just need a little comfort to stay in the fight. So I really enjoy that. And, And I don't know if you've talked about the theme song before, I did a little bit of research into it. Oh, great. No, I haven't. I haven't actually done that. So fantastic. Go for it. Okay, cool. So the theme song was composed by a Guatemalan singer songwriter named Gabby Marino. And she's really cool. She's a an amazing musician. She's toured with Tracy Chapman and Ani DeFranco. And I found an interview that she did just about five years ago or so. And at least at that time, she said that she had never recorded a theme song or music for TV before this. And she hasn't since. It just was something that she saw advertised an open call for submissions for music for a television show. And, And she put this really chipper, upbeat song together and sent it in and it ended up being the one that they chose. And she said she thinks that's amazing because she's also a big fan of the show. So yeah, Gabby Marino. That is so cool. Thanks for uh, doing the research there. (laughs) Yeah. And then (laughs) as the episode proper gets started, I like how Leslie's saying that she's been doing these zoo promotions and, and there's just something so... I don't know when when I was young and thinking about what I was going to do for a living uh you know I never could have imagined that there could be a job where and I know this is a fantasy version of this job but that there could be a job where you get to do zoo promotions and make t-shirts and marry <laughs> marry penguins and celebrate <laughs> the birthday of a 60-year-old parrot and all that kind of stuff. Like the things that Leslie is doing for a living are really really fun. <laughs> yeah, they're really fun and she does them with this earnest attitude that I think makes it a lot funnier because she takes her job really seriously. Mm-hmm. But not in an uptight way, more in in this committed, she sees this as an important public trust way. And so she's never rolling her eyes about any of these community promotions that she has to do because she sees some kind of higher value in that. Yeah, that's really well put. The thing I thought of was um, her aim is true. Like yes. She's really, yeah, she's sincere 
yet joyful and playful at the same time, which is a really lovely combination of personality traits. Yes. And you've you've talked on earlier episodes uh, that her other key trait is that she can be naive. And so I think the balance between those two is where they mine a lot of the comedy. Yeah, yeah. Without having rewatched all of this yet, I feel like they poke at that a little bit more in earlier seasons. And then, yeah, as as any of us, she gets a little bit less naive and a little bit more grounded in reality and sometimes even, you know, ground down, but still manages to unlock those little bits of um, optimism. And if she can't, then then uh, the gang around her will rally around and help lift her up when she needs it. So uh, we find Leslie at the zoo and she is um, celebrating <laughs> graduating some chimpanzees <laughs> or fl- <laughs> flinging shit and then celebrating the wedding of Tux and... I think it's Tux and Flipper. Oh yeah, Tux and Flipper. <laughs> Which is such a fun idea. And I love April's standing there and she's got, for some reason, like her, I guess that's supposed to be like a bridesmaid's outfit on, right? But it's just like over her regular kind of street clothes. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a... (laughs) And she has a deadpan look on her face. It's just, it's such a great April Ludgate appearance because you just see the sort of half-assed disdain that she has for her job. Like, oh, you want me to wear a dress? Okay, I'll wear a dress. And then just pulling it all over her clothes that she's already wearing. And we're going to definitely have you back on for more um, April episodes too, because I know she's one of your favorites. Yeah, actually, let me get into that a little bit. Because in preparation, I, I thought of two things. Who's my favorite character? And who's the character I aspire to be? So as you mentioned, April Ludgate is my favorite character. And I think that I'm drawn to her because I try to be positive and I try to be kind. And there's just something refreshing about seeing someone who just rolls their eyes at everyone and barely manages a smile and is kind of dark and weird and and uh, and all of those all of those things it's just it's a delight and i think the way aubrey plaza plays the character is done with a lot more nuance than you see in other portrayals of the weird girl so you you can see some of her vulnerability kind of sneak out at times and it makes it a lot more well-rounded so That's why she's my favorite. However, the character that I aspire to be is Ann Perkins. So she is the good friend, patient. She helps people. I also appreciate being biracial, seeing that biracial representation. So Rashida Jones is great. She's got great comic timing, great deadpan, which makes her a great counterbalance to Leslie and and went to Andy and so th- those are my two those are my two mainstays of the show. Awesome. I'm so glad you shared that cuz I feel like I'm getting to appreciate Ann Perkins more and more on the rewatch here. 
especially this episode. She, like you said, she's got great comic timing and she is a very considerate friend. And she's got her challenges with Leslie because Leslie can get really um, singularly focused in, in a ways that can be detrimental to their friendship sometimes. But that is so real and realistic about, you know, girlfriends. And I really, I love April Budgate in ways that you described, but also because my best friend through high school, Penny, she she was the eye rolling deadpan had no patience for anybody that wasn't entertaining her in one way or another. And so she really reminds me of her, like literally makes similar facial expressions sometimes. And also because, yeah, I I agree, Aubrey Plaza, she has so much nuance going for her. And also, I just, I love Oscar the Grouch. He's also one of my favorite characters in pop culture. And growing up with Oscar the Grouch, I always appreciated that on Sesame Street, that there was a character that was just fucking grumpy (laughs) and and kind of rude and impatient. And I have a side of me that is that. And I really appreciate seeing that, that, you know, because that is a side of all of us, even our most Ann Perkins-y or Leslie Nope-y of folks. Sometimes we're just just grumps. And so um, there's something about that that's saying it's okay to be that person that I appreciate too. Yeah, 100%. So should we get into the penguins? Let's get into it. <laughs> so at this presentation where the penguins are getting married, it's discovered by uh, one of the uh, zoo employees. He he says, uh, oh, by the way, this is a husband and husband, technically. These are two male penguins. <laughs> we even get to see a little penguin humping going on, right. too. <laughs> oh, I love the way that they filmed the humping penguins with, with blurred out privates. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not those two. Those are both boy penguins. I'm sorry? Tux and Flipper are both boys. So you should have pronounced them husband and husband, technically. That's awesome. It reminded me of a situation from just last year where the Denver Zoo has a same-sex lorikeet couple. And they posted a photo of these two male lorikeets who are married and they got a ton of comments on the post with people questioning that these two male lorikeets were in love. They're like, Oh no, they're just acting like brothers, blah, blah, blah. Just because they could not wrap their mind around this concept because they were being homophobic. And what was great and what reminded me of the way the zoo employee acted in this scene is the Denver Zoo is just like, well, we don't assign a sexual preference to our animals, but these two male lorikeets, they live together, they groom each other, and they have sex. So that's that is what it is. And anytime someone would post a homophobic comment, they would come right back with, this is what we've observed. They have sex. So you gotta deal with it. 
And so that kind of made it catch fire. And so it's great when you both see people sticking up for people loving whomever they love and doing it in such a straightforward way that it's just like, well, this is what it is. So shout out to the Pawnee Zoo. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for um, bringing up that that story uh, about those two. The way that the the zoo employee says it, yeah, is very straightforward as well. So I get what you're saying there. He's like, oh no, that's you know, those are both boy penguins. There's no judgment there. It's just a, a simple fact. So they're able in the scene to both. So they introduce that story element. And then Mm -hmm. it goes right into the silly penguin humping scenes that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. I think it enables them to keep the tone of the show that they want because it's it's like, oh, this is the situation, and and now we're going to see how Leslie responds to it. And but at the same time, you're seeing something really ridiculous, and it's like, oh, X-rated penguin scene. We got to blur out these parts so you know it can be on TV. So I, I think that I think that's genius TV right there. I totally agree. <laughs> One thing too that I'm noticing, and just as a quick flyby notice, is that there's still a lot of real conversations straight to the camera in that uh, documentary style, and I'd kind of forgotten about how much of that there is in this in this season. I kind of thought they breezed by that from season one. That that was more in season one, but really in this season, there's a ton of people constantly talking to the cameras and then even addressing like the, you know, documentary filmmakers. And it rarely ever makes sense that the they would be like in somebody's homes or, you know, in the places that they are. Right. It really doesn't make any sense at all. But that's another thing that's just an element of absurdism that I just, I don't know, I'm just enchanted by it. Yeah, I agree. Should we get into how Leslie then responds to learning that this Pawnee Zoo gay penguin marriage has now become a controversial local issue? Yeah, totally. There's a woman who lodges a complaint or she comes into the office to tell Leslie that she thinks she should resign and also annul the wedding. And this is all under that guise of um, the Society for Family Stability Foundation, which is just a perfect conservative, homophobic piece of shit. But we want to make (laughs) ourselves sound like we have these lofty goals. We're for family stability. No, you're advancing an agenda that is harmful and violent. So, so, but I think it's it's a great performance by the actor Darlene Hunt because she just comes across as as so saccharine and sweet and aloof, and it's like, oh, the way that she says what we'd like you to do is resign. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if she says that at the beginning or if she says that later, but it's just a great line delivery because you just you see that she is an evil person who really knows how to negotiate this world of politics and really put on a smile. And she's sinister. It's great. Yeah, it's like there's daggers in her eyes and then that those um, gnashing, smiling teeth. And she's, yeah, they're saying niceties. Oh, I like your blouse and, you know, that kind of stuff. And oh, 
which way to the <laughs> right. which way to the the parking lot and oh yeah and please resign and please do this and please do that yeah go ahead and do this do this do this do this so leslie has been invited to the local gay bar called it's it called the bulge yes the bulge the bulge and um we get some of what what happens here in the early 2000s which is um less apparent as shows mature and as um, people who make shows make better decisions. But, you know, we get a little bit of this um, Tom Haverford, you know, oh, wearing a peach colored shirt and her making allusions to that being something that I don't know, is gay, you know, in a way. And I think it's a really well made character the Tom Haverford character, because I've definitely known these guys where they're like the they're like a dude bro, but also sort of a peacock. Yeah, a peacock dude bro. <laughs> Not so super progressive, but also realistic to people that I've definitely known in my lifetime that were like that, like, oh, you're you're a nice guy and all, but you're still just uncomfortable with, you know, being maybe associated as being a gay person. Yeah, there is some low-key gay panic running through this episode. And I think that it's fair to point it out as as an evolution because it's not as bad as the gay panic in Friends that was maybe 10, 15 years before this. That might be really wrong, but you know, it was sometime before this. And then it's worse than some things that you would see today. So I, I think that's a fair call out. Yeah. And it's, I would say then the in-betweener would be 30 Rock, which I did a rewatch of 30 Rock a couple months ago where I just kind of zipped all through, you know, every single season. And it's so hilarious and wonderful, but it's, there's so much of calling out of gayness in just this really tone deaf way that does not age well, but yeah, is still more sensitive than um, than Friends, which to me is almost unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about the hallway scene with April and her boyfriend and her boyfriend's boyfriend, because this to me is the the counterpoint to Marsha Langman. So Marsha Langman's says you should annul the wedding. This conservative group is trying to make it into their culture war issue. And then on the other hand, it's great how she she introduces their thruple. Derek is gay, but he's straight for me, but he's gay for Ben and Ben's really gay for Derek. And I hate Ben. It's not that complicated. No. Oh, yeah, sure. The thing about youth culture is I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I th I thought that that was a lot of fun. And I liked kind of that pivotal role that April and her thruple played in it. And then, um, yeah, at the nightclub, like you said, Leslie's partying. You get to see <laughs> she's like girl drink drunk <laughs> and having a good time. And then what happens sometimes when we have alcohol coursing through our systems and you know, you get emotionally connected to things and start to, you know, sometimes it helps clarify what's real and what's important to you. And she's feeling herself, but also feeling like she's connected with this community. Yeah. So the next morning, you know, Leslie is feeling very confident and happy, possibly still a little bit drunk. And then Ron Swanson announces that you're going to be going on Pawnee today, and uh, that is to 
defend herself against this horrible woman that we met earlier. (laughs) (laughs) We have a controversial topic today, the gay penguin marriage at the Pawnee Zoo. So we get to meet Joan Calamezzo, which is very exciting. And get to see more of the charming side, I guess, of of Tom Haverford and the way that he interacts with Joan, who runs Pawnee today. She's the, what do you call it? The the hostess. Yes. Yes. Or the host. The hostess of the show. And she's one of those characters. And we get to get a little a little sense of this right here, where she's just kind of she never really is on Leslie's side. You know, she's just kind of sitting there kind of stirring the pot a little bit. Yeah, so she's not really helping. She's actually kind of hurting in the stuff that she's bringing up. Yeah, it on is the episode. It, it is really a bit of a bamboozle because mm-hmm. she brings Leslie in on this premise. Okay, we're going to we're going to discuss this issue. But then the way she sets it up is something to the effect of, Leslie, why did you do this terrible thing? Please explain yourself. Totally. (laughs) This is where Leslie says, I wasn't trying to be an advocate for anything. I was just trying to do something that was cute. Yes, that was uh, a great one. Raise raise awareness. (laughs) And Joan calls it a stunt and that it was clearly over the line. And I love this because we get to see Amy Poehler does some wonderful character work here where you're seeing, oh, okay, so when my back is up against the wall, I am going to stand for what is right and what is reasonable. And so she starts to really make a stand here in front of the, um, you know, the television cameras and starts to talk about like, hey, I'm trying to do something for the city and I can't win. And, you know, I went out for a night of fun and danced and everybody's freaking out. And she gets bold and confident and grabs the phone and starts taking the the phone calls, which my husband pointed out the first two callers are staff writer Harris Whittles calling in to um be two different characters saying that she should that she should oh, resign. That she should resign. Oh, that's that's cool that it was a staff writer. Yeah, Harris will uh, do more of a deep dive into him later on because he's not only one of the great writers, standout writers, but then he comes on as a character on the show too. <laughs> well, I had a note about the third caller. So you talked about the first two. The third caller is the real heartbreaker because it's the little kid that says something like, hello, my name is Sally and I really love the zoo because I like to see all the animals and the, and you see everybody soften, including Leslie, who is starting to really get her hackles up because these people are calling and saying <laughs> that she should resign. She's like, all right, next caller. And then that person says she's resigned. And I was like, oh, I And now I just remember what this is all about. Just kids enjoying the zoo. And then the kid says, and I think you should resign. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, (laughs) yeah, then we switch over to um, Andy Dwyer's making his appearance. He's got a suit on. He's brushed his hair and he's gone to see Ann Perkins and, you know, knocks on the door and is trying to look sort of professional and he says my favorite part of this he comes in and he's trying to be very casual and professional looking and says uh oh he's got his monkey suit on he's trying to be real casual about oh it costs three thousand bucks but it's totally worth it 
and I've got this job downtown, boring office job, and and he tries to to parlay this into getting back together with Anne by saying, and I really feel like I've matured a lot. <laughs> <laughs> is the way he says mature. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a boring office job in town, so got to dress up, you know, the grind. But I'm really happy, and I really feel like I've matured a lot. Good. Yeah. That's, I'm happy for you. So listen, I was uh, sitting in the cubicle the other day, doing some thinking, some growing. And some maturing. <laughs> yes, maturing. And darn it, if I don't. Just miss you. Andy. And oh, Aunt cakes, just just let me uh I love you and I'm just really sorry for the way that I treated you. I, w- I was the worst boyfriend ever. I know that. And uh I really think it would behoove us to give it another shot. Yeah, look, I'm really happy for you about your job and that you've learned some new words, but I'm sure about my decision. And this is what I was talking about with with Anne's great deadpan because I th- yeah. I think that you could have a lifetime of memes just from her reactions to everything mm-hmm. that Andy said because she she just goes through all of these dubious expressions like really hmm and then she has a great line where she says I'm I'm so happy for you I'm glad that you've learned some new words. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's my favorite line from this whole episode. <laughs> and he calls her A cakes, which I thought was kind of cute. I don't think I ever heard that before. Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> that is fun. And yeah, that actually reminds me of two things that happened in this um, episode, which is that after Mark Brandanowitz fell, he was in the hospital for the week and mentions. And she says when he fell and hit his head, something must have changed because he's like a whole different person and he's actually pretty nice. And yeah, Mark Brandanowitz is a pretty kind of skeezy guy in the in season one. And then and Andy's no great <laughs> peach either (laughs) and so uh, we're seeing that he's at least trying to be at least take responsibility and say that he didn't treat her very well and so i appreciate that even though him just showing up in a suit and saying i've matured a lot (laughs) isn't gonna fix everything and that you know he's gotten you know he's saying all the things he thinks are gonna win her back that's the other thing he says was i've been doing some thinking some growing and some maturing yes maturing (laughs) oh and some maturing she asked and darn it if i don't just miss you (laughs) so he's putting on these airs It's like he watched a YouTube video, How to Be a Gentleman. (laughs) And yeah, and he says, I really was the worst boyfriend, and I think we should give it another shot. And she's like, yeah, you know, thanks, but no thanks, basically. (laughs) I'm glad you've got a new job, that you've learned some new words. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure about my decision. And I love that line. I think that's just, I don't know, something about... I've definitely been in those relationships with guys when I was young where I feel like, oh man, I always was leaving a little crack 
and the, you know, a, a little crack open that they could like weasel their way in. But her saying, I'm sure of my decision sounds very final. Mm -hmm. And then we get to see, which I think this is actually the first episode of, of this show that I ever watched, is that then he walks out and then he quickly runs down into the pit, pulls his pants almost all the way off, sees that the cameras are following him, and then shoves his half-naked body into the... This is where he lives, in the pit, in a tent in the pit. So he's trying to hide himself like a bear trying to like shove themselves into a cave or something that's too small or something <laughs> like just... winnie the pooh <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and you know the the way that you mentioned that the camera catches him mm -hmm. i i always forget that there's supposed to be this underlying premise that a documentary crew is filming them and this is one of those moments that if you really think about the thought that someone filmed him leave Anne's house, scamper down into this muddy pit, and then try to hide in a little tent, how could the camera person not tell Anne? Totally. Yeah, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but I saw your ex-boyfriend go hide in a pit behind your house. I just felt like you should know. <laughs> I guess that's probably like the nature documentary rules. You know, you just <laughs> right. observe, like, but don't interfere. Like, I, I don't know, Tom. I feel like we should say, no, we cannot intervene. We just got to let it play out. So, yeah. And now he's just absolutely filthy. You know, he went from... <laughs> wearing that suit and looking kind of like a stand-up guy to just wearing gross old or really dirty sweats and a t-shirt and <laughs> saying that he wants to stay close to her to protect her you know because there are some weird people around right. here <laughs> yeah self-awareness is just not high on his list so now we're down to the last couple of minutes of this episode where um we get back to the pawnee today it's even shot with the logo in the corner which i didn't notice before leslie is taking control of the situation here at the end and says that I'm doing good for for our community and that attendance at the zoo is 30% higher and she didn't murder anyone. She didn't have an affair or do any drugs. She apologizes for having fun and making something cute. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's like my podcaster motto. I apologize for having fun and making something cute. <laughs> and then Joan tries to change the subject really quickly. So funny. It's wild Joan that says, attendance uh, at the zoo is up 30%. I mean, yeah. That's a pretty big jump. So I guess yeah, the, the, the premise is word is spreading throughout the chat. Like, have you heard? There's a gay penguin couple. We got to go see these penguin husbands. Did they have smartphones where you could take a selfie then? I was going to say I want a selfie with the... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Flipper that's a good question. <laughs> Flipper, and, Flipper and Steve. It's Flipper and Eve and not Flipper and Steve. Right. <laughs> we see that graffiti. So great. <laughs> later. And yeah, then the episode ends with Leslie relocating the um, 
married gentlemen penguins to another state and uh keeping them <laughs> there in like what do you call those baby seats kids seats in the back of her yeah at first you can just see her and she's doing water. sort of a talking head right. as the driver like oh you know it, j- it wasn't working out and so there's another zoo and they're gonna have a great home and then they pan over her shoulder and you see that the two penguins are in car seats in the back seat, not in, I don't know, a crate or something <laughs> safe that you could use to transport an animal. And then and then she missed some attention to keep them comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And she stays true to their her like cuteness is her North Star because she yes. she sees a sign for a water park and says, Oh my gosh, I should take them to the water park. It, it would be amazing. I shouldn't do it because they might die. It would have been cute though. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they're being transferred to a zoo in Iowa because gay marriage is legal there. So that's the little detail. (laughs) So that wraps it up. Oh, my gosh. We had just a little bit to talk about. it. That was really, really good. You gave a bit of a hint, too, of your relationship with the show. Anything else you want to add about, like, when you first started watching it or anything about your initial discovery of parks and recreation i don't remember exactly when i started it it was likely a warm handoff from the office because i was a big fan Mm -hmm. of first the bbc office and then the u.s office and like i said i just i find it comforting great characters they just really lean into these uh, caricatures and and let these actors just have a ton of fun fleshing them out and and they create great combinations between sort of unlikely people that you wouldn't think would get along that's that's why in a future episode I'm excited to talk about kind of the April Ludgate Ron Swanson sort of pseudo father daughter team and it, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And and I appreciate that you had this great idea to do a rewatch and, and talk about it because just like doing a Movies by Minute podcast, have sort of discovered things and was inspired to research things that I wondered about, like the theme song, but just never had the excuse to take the time and kind of dig in and learn about it. And then it just makes me appreciate the show all the more. So this has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing so much attention to the story and the the music and the other anecdotes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And what are you up to? So you're you wrapped up on Joe versus the minute. You said, right? We wrapped recording, but we record a couple months in advance. Uh, so we we still have several weeks of great content still coming out and uh, more great guests to come. And then I've done some guesting on other Movies by Minute podcasts. That's kind of, I'm kind of, I don't have a new project of my own that I'm jumping mm-hmm. into and, and that is on purpose. So I'm just going to kind of roam the podcast earth, get into adventures, you know, but I, I do always have a, a home and I'm often 
a guest on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast with another one of our mutual friends, Brad Mendenhall. I, I kind of mm-hmm. have been behind the scenes and, and helping. He credits me as a co-creator, which I think is overly generous. We have done, I had a lot of conversations behind the scenes of making the show more inclusive and, and I've done outreach to connect them with folks, but he hosts the show and he records everything and edits everything. So it's really his show, but it's, I really think that it's great that I always know that I can kind of swoop in there. And then if there's a big thing, like the 200th episode is coming up or or when there's a new Star Wars movie that we can kind of put a panel together and I can be on that. So you can look for me there. And if you want to just see where my podcast adventures have taken me, you can follow me on Twitter at Inspector Flora or on Instagram at Jarf Harden. And Joe versus a minute can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Joe versus Minute. Well, thanks again for coming on, and I look forward to having you back. And uh, yeah, let's uh, sign off for today. Of course, everybody can find um, all episodes of Vibrant Visionaries at vibrantvisionaries.com, and I'll have links to all the socials, including the Facebook group and page and the newsletter and all that good stuff on the show notes. And so until next time, ciao for now. Oh, look, six flags. I should take them on a water slide. They might die, but it would be so cute.